Hey, it's Ron. This episode was recorded before I launched Politicology when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have questions, comments, or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com or find us online at politicology.com. Enjoy. Hello from the Lincoln Project. I'm Ron Steslow. Welcome back to our weekly roundup, where we bring in a rotating panel of experts to discuss the truth you need to know behind the most important stories of the week and how they're shaping the political landscape of this election. In our last roundup before the election, we have an amazing panel today, independent political strategist and our captain on this ship, Reed Galen. It's great to have you back, Reed. Thanks, Ron. And Lincoln Project Executive Director, former director at the National Security Council under Condoleezza Rice, and a veteran of four presidential campaigns, Sarah Lenti. Sarah, it's always great to have you back. Thanks, Ron. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Leslie Stahl's interview with Trump on 60 Minutes, the Trump campaign leaving rally-goers stranded in the cold, and Jared Kushner's disparaging comments about Black Americans. But let's start with the Trump administration's approach to the coronavirus. Despite claims by the White House Science Policy Office that they've ended the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen cases, hospitalizations, and now deaths on the rise. On Wednesday, there were over 80,000 new coronavirus cases, setting a new record high for daily cases. Over 227,000 people have died in the United States. There are a couple of different coronavirus stories I want to talk about, but let's start with Jared Kushner. Kushner spoke with Bob Woodward in a taped interview on April 18th and predicted we were heading into a comeback phase of the virus. Let's take a listen. There were three phases. There was the panic phase, the pain phase, and then the comeback phase. I do believe that last night symbolized kind of the beginning of the comeback phase. That doesn't mean there's not still a lot of pain and there won't be pain for a while, but that basically was we've now put out rules to get back to work Trump's now back in charge. It's not the doctors. They've kind of, we, we have like a negotiated settlement. Trump's now back in charge. It's not the doctors. Kushner also said that Trump was getting the country back from the doctors. Reed, I want to talk to you about this first because Kushner paints this as adversarial. It's Trump versus the doctors, Trump versus the science, Trump versus the medical information that the American people are desperate for. Can you talk about how presidents have interacted with their advisors and why this adversarial approach is so dangerous for the American people? I think the first thing we should discuss is that that was April 18th. Yeah. And as I recall, at least for me, at that point, you know, the the shutdown would have been about a month old. And so it was, I don't think anybody I know thought we were in the, you know, past the panic and pain phase and on our way to something great yeah. by mid-April. Yeah. Because um, remember, they had said that this would be over by Easter. So that was just a week prior. So the adversarial nature of it is what we even heard from another Woodward recording, which was Trump clearly knowing, as we've said on this show before, how deadly the pandemic would be or could be. Yeah. How deadly the virus could be, much more lethal than the flu. Within 24 or 48 hours, making a decision, and it was a decision to put the politics of it before the public health emergency of it. And so what you're hearing is that he had already decided that owning COVID was never going to be a winner for him. Um, also we just, you know, he has the, he has the attention span of a gnat, so he didn't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, we heard, I think this week, you may bring it up later that he's complaining that it gets all the attention. 
So it's sort of all the psychoses of, of Donald Trump wrapped up into one. But the, the bottom line is Trump doesn't like anybody he thinks is smarter than him, one. And two, anybody that tells him he has to do something he doesn't want to do. And my guess is guys like uh, Dr. Fauci and others uh, fit both those bills in spades. And so it's just one more example of the Trump administration, starting with the president and moving on to Kushner, who, let's be clear, was re- has really been running. I don't yeah. want to call it a response. Yeah. Yeah. Who's been in charge. Yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Um, And, you know, now here we are, right? I don't know how many people were dead on that date, but it wasn't 225,000. Yeah. I'm looking at some stats right here. And on April 15th, so three days before that interview, deaths from COVID had reached their all-time peak. So that that on that day, there had been more than 2,600 deaths and hospitalizations had peaked. Three days before was the peak death count. Insane. It is insane. And it goes to the point that you just made, Reed, which is that if if it's getting attention, it has to be something that flatters him. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's bad for him, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the guy's never been afraid of bad publicity because um, he's had it all his life. But this is the one, probably the first time in his 74 years, it was something he truly couldn't control. Um, we've talked about that before. The virus doesn't care what he thinks. It doesn't care what any of us think. Um, and he decided again, it was better to delay, deflect, blame others. And now here with four days to go before election day, mm-hmm. he's now complaining that all yeah. he gets to talk about is COVID. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, yeah. he, again, as I've said previously, he only left all the greatest assets in the history of humankind on the shelf yeah. for his own personal political benefit yeah. at the cost of hundreds of thousands of lives and yeah. millions more sick. Yeah, even as it affects the White House. Over the last week, we've seen that several aides to Vice President Mike Pence, including his chief of staff, have tested positive for the coronavirus in what you might call a second wave for the White House. Maggie Haberman at the New York Times reported that White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows wanted to prevent the media from learning about this outbreak. Meadows also told Jake Tapper on Sunday that we are not going to control the pandemic pandemic. So we're going into our third spike in this pandemic. The White House is entering its own second wave of the virus, but the White House chief of staff tries to cover it up. The president complains that COVID has more airtime than he does, as you mentioned, Reed. And Kushner, who was charged with creating a testing plan and procuring protective equipment, has spent more time complaining about our billboards than fighting COVID. Reed, why is the Trump administration ignoring the pandemic? There's nothing they can do about it at this point. They've, well, let me say this. They, they could have done something about it. They have, have, they, they have made a decision yeah. to not do anything about it. Um, they have decided whether or not, you know, they've said it out loud. Trump said it in his town hall a couple of weeks ago about the herd immunity thing, um, which for Trump is probably, in his mind, both easier And you know what, if it kills a whole bunch of people, you know, they were weak anyway, because he survived it, right? With all the greatest groundbreaking treatments available to literally nine other people on the planet. Yes. Um, And so, yeah, and I think at this point, they've realized they're not going to get anything done before election day. They don't want to talk about it anymore. They're trying to downplay it. Um, People are going to keep dying. We're going into flu season. And so I think they're, I think on some level, they're just done. I think they are too. They said they're essentially done fighting it. And, you know, we mentioned the billboards and just so our listeners are clear, the Lincoln Project put up billboards in Times Square featuring Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. There was a quote from Jared back when he was running the shadow coronavirus task force and was asked about getting personal protective equipment to New Yorkers. 
And his response was, Cuomo's people are going to suffer and that's their problem. He's so vindictive. Yeah. And for what? Yeah. You know, it's the, it's like they're untouchable. It's like they're, they think think they're godlike, you know, and the complete disregard for humans. You know, we talk about Republicans being pro-life. 260,000 people being dead is not pro-life. The numbers would have been smaller if he had taken action on January Oh yeah, 28th. 90% of the people who lost their lives would not have died yep. if they had handled this responsibly. Well, Trump is the child of privilege and no um, consequence. Ivanka is a child of privilege mm-hmm. and no consequence. Mm-hmm. Jared is a child of privilege and mm-hmm. no consequence. These people have consistently had the world laid out at their feet, typically at the largesse of their parents to get them into whether or not it was Wharton or Harvard or wherever it was they, they were going to go. So they've never lived in the, and for lack of a better way to put it, the real world. Yeah. So they have consistently seen the rest of the world as objects rather than subjects. Yeah. And it's why Trump is okay with stiffing vendors and ripping people off with Trump stakes and Trump university and their, you know, their charities. And it's why Kushner's and his family's okay with being slumlords mm-hmm. because to them, people don't matter. And so why should we have expected that anything would be different when Donald Trump was sitting behind the Resolute desk and Jared Kushner was trying out for the latest version of banality of evil? They sat in these rooms. They made these decisions on Corona, on kids at the border, on families, on you name it, any number of issues without one iota of an understanding about the humanity involved. They are inhumane. They lack any sort of moral compass. They are the worst collection of people. Yeah that we've ever had serve in the white house and the fact that 18 of them or whatever are federal you know, crim, you know, federal convicts now should not surprise any of us. Yeah. Yeah. And but losing more yeah. people than world war two, like what kind of person are you that did not, to not care? Like that's, I, it just, it's unfathomable it, to me. They're the kind of people who see a billboard that tells the truth about them. Yeah. And freak and, out and yeah. freak out and send us a cease and desist letter that our, then our yeah. campaign yeah. council, uh, Matt Sanderson, then just flames them in yeah. return. For, for we our listeners, heard word, can you, we haven't word, heard from them since. Can you recap for our listeners what that cease and desist letter said and what our response to it was? So, yeah. So Ron and his team had, had, put together a, a genius billboard in Times Square in New York. And it, on one panel, it has Ivanka Trump and her Goya beans stance pointing to how many people have, are sick and have died in this country from COVID. And a very happy, smiling Jared Kushner standing over pictures of body bags saying, you know, this is their problem or whatever, whatever the quote was. Um, so last Friday night, we all received a cease and desist letter from Kushner's attorney, Mark Kasowitz, basically saying we were defaming them. What he had never said that she had never had that gesture, blah, 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 blah. It had, it was, it was false both in truth and in law and in, in politics. And these, these two are public officials. They rose, they raised their right hands. They took the oath of office Mm -hmm. and they are senior officials in the United States government. They no longer have the opportunity to say, well, it's not our problem. You are the one making decisions. Um, you know, Ivanka, ha- both of them, I think, how much do they make in, in this year? I mean, something like $186 million. They have done nothing but profit on their time in the White House at the expense literally of thousands of American lives. And so from our perspective, you know, when we, when we wrote them back 
um, reminding them of all of the things that were both wrong with their letter and wrong with their stance and wrong with their actions. Um, you know, we haven't heard, we've seen, heard nor we've seen neither hide nor hair of either of them since then. Yeah. So, and we should note that our response, not just in writing via our attorney, uh, but in practice is going to be to put more of these billboards right. up. And as of, uh, today, when this episode is released, we will have the same artwork circling around Mar-a-Lago on a giant boat designed to be a digital billboard. And why should they why should they escape accountability? Exactly. Or shame. Exactly. Public shame. And you know, I think this is something worth noting because before we designed those billboards, I spoke with Mary Trump and asked her if there was any chance that framing the message as a question to Jared and Ivanka, for example, do the right thing, tell your dad it's over, time to come home. Mm-hmm. If there was any chance that they would do the right thing. And she said, no, absolutely not, because they don't actually care about him. And all they care about is the profit, to, to your point, Reed. And she said, when this is over, there's no more profit to be made. Mm-hmm. There's, 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 nothing, there's nothing left. And is so, that true? What do you mean? I, I, there could be... Uh, yeah, there, there'll be, there'll there be some, be, there'll I mean, be Trump TV. Sure, make, Trump TV. They will yeah, continue yeah. to make money course, for the rest of their lives. Of course, but the point is the grift is over. The profiteering off of public service is over. They won't be able to use their position at the White House in order to enrich themselves well, anymore. Unless, right? I don't know if we talked about this last week, unless he you know, puts a thumb drive in his laptop and makes off with the crown jewels of American intelligence, oh which I don't God. put past him. So, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, look, Trump TV yeah. will give them the great opportunity to sell... Backyard shelters, yeah. uh, offers of gold, reverse mortgages, and Seb Gorka's A number one fish oil. So, like, they'll pl- they'll make plenty of money. Sarah, uh, be- before we leave coronavirus, I just want to I want to highlight that back in April, Kushner was predicting that we were heading into a comeback phase. We we heard the clip. He he said the U.S. would be really rocking again by July. It's now October. And nearly 230,000 Americans have died. Infections are increasing in almost every state. The stock market is tanking because of fears of a third surge of cases. So as we are now just a few days from Election Day, uh, how should Americans be thinking about the reality of the coronavirus versus the rhetoric of the Trump administration? They should just look around their localities. I know um, in Denver, they have just put a new order in place, which says that high schoolers, they were supposed to go back to school at the end of October. Now they're looking at maybe February. People just need to look around at what's happening it's spiking in Wisconsin. We know that the hospitals were full before he went into the rally. Schools are closing. Death. I mean, the death rate's up. We. It's just, I have no words. One of the things that they are saying lately is that doctors in the U.S. are profiting from from make from saying that people are dying from COVID cases when really it was a heart attack, when really it was cancer, and that message is so grossly wrong and and. It's so dangerous. People are now thinking that it's a hoax. Yeah. That this is a this is for yeah. liberal doctors yeah. to make money. And that's just it's it's yeah. awful. Yeah. All right. Let's take a couple of minutes to talk about the interview Donald Trump had with Leslie Stahl last week. Now, traditionally, 60 Minutes sits down with the presidential and vice presidential candidates of both major parties before the election. And during their interview last week, Trump stopped the interview and stormed out because Stahl's questioning was just too tough. Let's take a listen to where it broke down. Do you think that your tweets and your name calling are turning people off? 
No, I think I wouldn't be here if I didn't have social media. But the media is fake. And frankly, if I didn't have social media, I'd have no way of getting out my voice. Do you know what you told me a long time ago when I asked why you keep saying fake media? Yeah. You said to me, I say that because I need to uh, discredit you so that when you say negative things about me, no one will believe you. I don't have to discredit you. But that's what you told me. You've discredited yourself. You know, I didn't want to have this kind of angry. Of course you did. No, I didn't. Of course you did. No, I didn't. Well, then you brought up a lot of subjects that Well, I said I'm going to ask you tough questions. They were inappropriately brought up. It is not inappropriate to talk about fake comments that he made. I know. I say that because I need to discredit you so that when you say negative things about me, no one will believe you. He said the thing out loud. The attack on truth, the attack on the very concept of verifiable information and the role of the fourth estate is just right there in plain view for everyone to see. I don't, Sarah, can you talk about the danger that comes when the president campaigns to discredit the media actively, intentionally? So what I was just thinking about was the fact that most news outlets are very, they're meticulous when it comes to their fact checking and verifying what they're putting out there, most news outlets. By him saying that it's all fake, wrong, but social media's is truth, is just it's screwed up. There's the there's the aspect of the attack on the media, which is troubling in and of itself. But I think Sarah's point is the right one, which is it is a discrediting of the truth in any narrative other than what it is he believes at that moment Bingo. that is really the most dangerous part. And so we heard it on sixty minutes. Earlier this week, you know, we heard it on Tucker Carlson when the magic, you know, Hunter Biden documents disappeared between New York and L.A. Like, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. No. They so fucked up the Hunter Biden attacks because they yeah. weren't real to begin with right. that now they have to say, well, you know what's really going on is that we can't even make the attacks because someone stole the documents. <laughs> and so now it's like they have to continue the conspiracy and the yeah. charade yeah. because the truth is is that Trump is a disaster yeah. for the country. Yeah. He is not a bright guy. And they have to manufacture attacks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so why <laughs> why does he why does he not like 60 minutes because Leslie Stahl is a veteran. She's a yeah. legend. Yeah. Her her questions were not inappropriate for a president who has mm-hmm. presided over a massive public health and economic calamity. He they are not inappropriate for a president who has incited racial division who is utilizing that to charge up his own base and to divide the country. You are responsible. And it goes back to the whole thing, which is he cannot believe he is responsible for anything. Yeah. Right. So he's all just sort of a bit actor in all this. Yeah. And he acts as if Joe Biden is the president, right? It's his fault. He's trying to play the outsider. He's been in office. And I think it's not just the media. I think for a lot of Americans now, they've just, they're just tired of it. They can't even deal anymore. So even like last week when we were talking about his debate, it didn't matter that he seemed halfway normal for him. It was that what he said was so ridiculous in its face. Like people are like, "Eh, forget about it. Can we talk about the fact that the media didn't really talk about what happened at his rally in Lansing, Michigan, which was, he got up there and he was going on rattling on during the rally. And then he talked about, you know, three weeks in Joe Biden shot Kamala takes over, like just in any normal, he'd be called out. I mean, this is, I don't understand. And I don't even understand why outlets weren't talking about that. Are we, are we so numb to the things that he says now? Well, I I, I do mean that. Yeah. I mean, this is what I think the, the issue is, is what 
you know, remember, was it last time around, you know, they talk about, you know, people take Trump seriously, but they shouldn't take him literally. Like that was bullshit then. And it's bullshit now, which is, I, I don't believe he is due the ability to reframe the context of the words he says. In that moment, he might have meant Joe Biden will be so tired and exhausted that he can't do the job and Kamala Harris will. Or you could take it as somebody's going to try and assassinate Joe Biden and you'll have Kamala Harris. Either way, what you're most afraid of is Kamala Harris being president because she's a black woman. Yes. Right? Yes. So like that was the point. Yes. Now, what I don't, I, you know what? Yes. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt no, on anything. He doesn't. So and, he and said these things. I think things. you need to assume when he says shot, he means shot. Right. Well, well, here's the thing whether, whatever he meant, we all know that he has supporters that will take it that way. We all know that there are people out there who will hear those words. We know what and, happened in Kenosha. And, and exactly. And because, because we're having this conversation right now, speaks to the fact that there will be plenty of confusion about what he meant. And he has not corrected it. He has not clarified. He has not said, oh no, that's, I didn't mean to insinuate that. No, he hasn't, he hasn't done that. And nobody's asking about it either, which I just find odd. Because it, this is where we've talked about this. I think I mentioned previously, like when I was a kid, and Sarah, maybe you remember this. I remember watching the Oliver North hearings. I do too. For days mm. and days and days. And this was a guy who was a colonel in the Marine Corps, maybe a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps, who out of the White House sold missiles to Iran and then used the money to pay for the Contras. And it was a scandal for years. We now have one of those a week. Yeah. And it's gone in 24 hours. Yeah. God, that's terrifying. Okay, just to wrap this up, Reed, Trump ended up storming out of this interview with 60 Minutes because it was too hard for him. And presidents have to make tough decisions and have tough conversations all the time. How do you talk about how voters should be thinking about this, this interview, and what it means for Trump's ability to do the job of president, as contrasted to Joe Biden's? Walking out of the interview was the same thing he's done on every big issue in his presidency which was he could sit there and take it and think about it and do something about it, or he could get up and storm out like a little boy. And that's what he did. Over the last week, the Trump campaign has reinforced just how out of touch they are with the American people. On Tuesday night, the Trump campaign left hundreds of supporters stuck in the cold for hours after a rally in Omaha, Nebraska. Some walked about three miles back to their cars. Others waited for around three hours for transportation. The Omaha Police Department released a statement that several people had to be taken to the hospital for a variety of conditions. And Trump 2020 Press Secretary Hogan Gidley spoke to Allison Camerota on CNN on Wednesday. She asked him about the vice president making a campaign stop in Wisconsin, and here's what he had to say. Hospitals in Wisconsin are near capacity. And so is there, does that give you any pause or the vice president any pause about going there and holding a big rally? Uh, no, it doesn't. The vice president has the best doctors in the world around him. They've obviously contact traced and have come to the conclusion it's fine for him to be out on the campaign trail. It's fine for him to be on the campaign trail, but what about the thousands of people that are at the rally yeah, sure, and not social this... distancing and not wearing a mask and on and on and on because he doesn't wear a mask. <laughs> this just speaks to how little they care about the American people. Like this is all for show. This is all for them. Read as a former advance guy, and maybe you can do a little bit about what advance is sure. in, in a, in a con campaign context so folks understand the, the, the angle that you're approaching this from. Sure. But these are, these are Trump supporters. It's not even a calculus that... 
he doesn't care about people who didn't vote for him. Like, I mean, presumably these are people who voted for him in 2016 and were planning to do so again in 2020. But how should thoughtful Republican voters be thinking about the fact that Trump and his campaign don't care about his supporters and sort of set the stage for what goes into the planning for an event like this and and ha- how sure. something like this happens? Sure. So the advance office um, for the White House um, is responsible for setting up the logistics of the president's events outside. Washington, D.C., typically. So you go, you find the place where you're going to have your event. You figure out what the stage is going to look like, what the backdrop is going to look like, how many people can fit, how long it's going to take people to get through security. If you need water, do you need bathrooms? You know, um, who are the poobahs who are going to meet him at the plane? Who are the people that are going to meet him at the, you know, at the site? How do you get the motorcade squared away? All the volunteers that take all this stuff, all of that stuff. And it's everything that doesn't have much to do, that doesn't have anything, frankly, to do with security, the military, all that, right? The secret service and the military handle all of those things, right? That's the, so this is literally the staff setting up the event for the president. So it's like in order to do this job, you have to be attuned to the most important details with an eye for the largest content, like the biggest picture that it's going to create. Ultimately, we used to think about it this way. Like we went for a week so the president could be there for an hour. So you could get, you know, three minutes on the evening news. Right. And so you have to paint the picture. Um, here, in, you know, they've been doing a lot of airport rallies, which is not an unusual thing at this point in a presidential campaign because they're typically big open spaces. There's no motorcade. The plane pulls up. The president gets off the plane. He walks to the stage, does it, and then he gets back on the plane and flies away. It's like a drive-through. Right. It's almost a, it's a drive-through rally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the difference is here is that anybody with any sort of experience would understand, one, that it, it was Omaha in the late fall um, on a tarmac. So it was probably already windy. Um, and two, that if you're going to get people three miles from the remote parking location to the rally, you must get them back again. Um, and it seems like that they totally fell down on the job, which is no surprise because it's the most incompetent political organization in history. So, um, yeah, and it showed that they don't care. I mean, so long as Trump gets his adoring praise, right, he takes off, he's on the plane, he's in his bubble. Old people are getting woozy and they're getting hypothermic. Not my problem. And then, as I think I told you before we started rolling, there was apparently a rally in Florida today where they had to start spraying people with fire hoses because they were passing out because it was so hot. So it's either like, here, you have your choice at a Donald Trump rally. You you can get COVID. (laughs) Yeah. You can get hypothermia, yeah, or you can get heat stroke. Yeah, which of your options would you like? Also, like, I don't. I have no idea what the budget is for things like this, but isn't it? a shit ton of money. Well, and it so, depends. I mean, these would be cheaper because, I mean, sometimes, still, you're, you know, a lot of times we'd rent out a, you know, a stadium or something like that where you'd put 20, 30, 40,000 people. These are smaller, A, because I don't think he's got that much of a base left and B, because airport rally, you know, airport hangers are relatively cheap. Um, so there's not a lot of cost involved other than like, Lives. Well, yes. That's what I'm thinking. Like, <laughs> let's think about how much yeah, so all these that, things yeah. cost. And yeah. then, the, I yeah. mean, it in just, that context, yeah. yes, they are, like, they are far too expensive. Enormously yes. costly. Sarah, uh, Trump spoke at a rally in Michigan earlier this week and tried to make an appeal to suburban women. Let's take a listen. Because women, suburban or otherwise, they want security. They want security. They want safety. They want law and order. They have to have law and order. And we're going to do great. And I love women and I can't help it. They're the greatest. I love them much more than the men. Much more than the men. So I'm saving suburbia. I'm getting your kids back to school. Get your kids back to school. 
You know, we won that big Supreme Court case against your governor. So what the hell happened? Why isn't it open? Still not open? You know, we sued. We won the case. What are they appealing? She's appealing the case. Hey, governor, let your state open. Get your kids back to school, governor. Not a good governor. And you know what else? I'm also getting your husband's. They want to get back to work, right? They want to get back to work. We're getting your husband's back to work. And everybody wants. Women need law and order. And we're getting your husbands back to work. Trump has hemorrhaged suburban white women voters in this election, as we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast. At least in theory, he's trying to win them back. So Sarah, when you hear stuff like this, and I know you have a lot to say, I see the look on your face. Can you talk about how persuasive this argument is? It's not. First of all, the governor that he was speaking of, her life was threatened. If he's a law and order president, what is he what is he saying about her? Why would you say something like that? We know that her her life was threatened two weeks ago, I believe. And then I want to talk about so that's that's one. So that's right there. Doesn't like women. Um, two, there are a lot of women that do not like the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, which happened this week. He thinks that he's a hero because his very small group of pro-life women think that she's a hero. She hasn't tried it. She's tr- she's been trying cases for understand for 2 years. You, you, th- for many women, this is disgusting. It's that's not pro-women, that's anti-women, okay? And then y- y- we're thinking of as a mom, kids, schools, it's his stance is so wrong. I just talked about what's happening in Colorado. Um, the way he speaks about women, calling women stupid. You know, we put out that ad, Girl in the Mirror, yeah, a couple of weeks that. ago. We put out an ad, Girl in the Mirror, and it kind of cuts from um, the president saying awful things about women to girls looking at themselves in the mirror. And I was reflecting on this the other day. And when I was young, I looked at news re- female news reporters as, you know, just heroes that, you know, something that I would have died to have been, but you know, them, him calling them stupid, if they're stupid, what do you think a little girl, if they're stupid and you're just a normal gal, you're, you're kind of at school, you're not a popular one. How do all of those things matter? There were a couple of other ads, I think, that we put out this week that speak specifically to this demographic. Can you talk about them and what the messages were? One of them was uh, Cruel, which is about the 545 children that the Trump White House separated from their parents. The psychological trauma that these 545 kids are going to have for the rest of their lives. And we don't know where their parents are, which is also bizarre. Um, And I'm not saying it's conspiracy theory, but that's so wrong. And I... You know, my five-year-olds, when they can't find me in the apartment, they freak out. They freak out. So I, I can't imagine what those kids are feeling. They don't speak English, I think the majority of them. I mean, can you imagine what that is? That is not, that's not pro-family. I think women are looking at that, women that aren't his base and recalling. There's another ad coming out tomorrow. It's a, it's a mom speaking to her sons, and it's going to be very powerful. Very, very powerful. That's yeah. all I can yeah. really say about it. Ron, we make like 25 ads I know. a week. You, know. you can't say, <laughs> let's talk about the ad we put out yesterday. <laughs> we put out 12 <laughs> on Monday. <laughs> no, I think I was thinking about the brave women 
ad. Oh, that's the one I the, was hoping it you was, would talk it about. It showcased female veterans, yeah, and it showed them going back, you know, a hundred years, and um, and that it, it talked, it had Trump making comments about grabbing a woman's crotch and um, all the women that he had had sex with, and it showed him with the his beauty pageant gals. And then you see all the women, you see women with their knees cut off. You see women holding you know, with women on their backs, you know, in battle. It's just, it's so powerful and it's so clear what he thinks yeah. of women. Yeah. And then there are these heroic women doing these heroic things. Yeah. yeah. And to them, to Trump, we're just, it, women are just sex objects, but yeah. only the ones that are attractive to only him. Only the ones that are attractive to him. Reed, is the fact that he is spending so much time talking about almost begging suburban women to like him evidence of the fact that he's losing them in droves? Sure. Well, they've already, he's already lost them. They left months ago. And I can say, you know, it's, it's in my experience, you know, women, regardless of where they live or where they come from, I've always found that they think desperation is by far the most attractive trait a man can display. So um, I think he's right on point. Uh, Jared Kushner has had a pretty bad week all around. He went on Fox and Friends and attempted to appeal to black voters. Let's listen to what Jared had to say. One thing we've seen in a lot of the, 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 the black community, which is mostly Democrat, is that uh, President Trump's policies are the policies that can help people break out of the problems that they're complaining about. But he can't want them to be successful more than they want to be successful. Reed, I just uh, can you help us understand what the hell he's thinking with these comments in the context of the whole Trump campaign and his response to the protests after the death of George Floyd? And when you think about, you know, in the electoral map, mm -hmm. Georgia is a dead heat right now, which is going to hinge on the black vote. Like, w what is going through his head? Nothing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's just, it's who he is. It's who they all are. Um, uh, I mean, I think somebody noted, maybe it was last week or on one of our shows that, you know, Trump's first lawsuit um, you know, for racial discrimination goes back to the 1970s. Yeah. Um, if you watch Netflix's uh, program, Dirty Money, about Kushner and being a slumlord, it's often, you know, people of color disproportionately who are affected, um, I mean, in extreme negative ways, yeah. right? They, they put they, a C on the applications to indicate colored for housing, on right. the housing so, applications. I mean, this yeah. is just, this is who these people are. Yeah. And I think the other part too is that, I mean, first of all, he's only about a nanosecond away from just saying you people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Might as well just get out of the way. Yep. And then I think you're also seeing what Mary Trump said in one of our town halls many months, mm -hmm. well, several months ago now, which is if they think he's going to be beaten and beaten badly, they will do the, these people don't deserve me. I did everything I could for them. I don't want this job the, you know, they don't, you know, they don't deserve to have me as their president. And so maybe it's just Kushner sort of, you know, giving us a preview of what they're going to say on Tuesday when hopefully there's a giant blue wave, which I never thought I'd say before. Yeah. Um, you know, that <laughs> sweeps across the country. Title wave, please. Yeah, yeah right. no kidding. All right. Now that we're up to speed on the totality of bullshit that happened this week, I want to turn to the week ahead. So, Sarah, why don't we start with you? What are you watching as we head into this final week? I mean, I'm gearing up for election night. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm most curious about Florida. 
Um, I also had a conversation with a friend. My friend's the COO of the CDC. She's very close to um, someone that works in the Secretary of State's office who is not a Republican. And, um, well, let's just say that the, the Secretary of State's office is freaking out because it's going the wrong way and they're seeing that with all the early voting. So I think mm. Georgia is one to watch. And we have some some fun stuff going on this weekend in Georgia um, to um, amplify the voices of the black community. And so I'll be watching, I think, Florida and Georgia over the weekend. Okay. Reed, what are you watching? Sure. I mean, it's the big enchilada, as Stuart it is. had a whole book he called that. Um, you know, look, we've seen so many early votes, so many vote by mail uh, ballots cast already. Um, you know, I know, Ron, you and your team and, and Madrid and the political team do a very, very good job of tracking who the people are that have, rep- you know, returned their ballots, where they are, you know, Republican, Democrat, if you can track those things. And so I'll be interested to see, um, you know, we should expect that there will be, you know, the Republican election day voters will outpace Democratic yeah. election day voters. Yeah. But that doesn't yeah. mean there'll be no Democrats, right. just be more Republicans. Right. right. <clears throat> so. At some point, the you know math is going to catch up to Trump, which is if there are X ballots that have been returned and Y number of those ballots are for Biden, and you know that there will be Z and Z plus one or whatever ballots on election day, <clears throat> that at some point Trump likely won't be able to catch up. So the danger here is that he will try and you know cause some silliness. The truth is, is that if Trump loses Florida on yeah. election mm-hmm. night, it's, yeah. all it's over. Yeah. If he loses North Carolina on election night, it's over. It's if over. he loses Iowa on election night, it's over. Or Arizona. Um, if he can't win Michigan, Wisconsin, or Pennsylvania, it's over. And so in a lot of these states, especially the upper Midwest, Biden's not just winning. He's he's far enough north of 50. He's outside the margin. <clears throat> that Yeah, he's outside the margin. And he's far enough north of 50 that there would have to be total and complete collapse on his end to not to not be victorious. But of course, we all have the scar tissue of 2016 um, where nobody wants to get too far ahead of ourselves. And I think on some level, you know, it's unhealthy because it, it means that we don't want to believe what we see. Uh, on the other level, you know, it makes sure we keep everything going until, you know, eight o'clock in Hawaii. Pedal to the metal until it's finally over. Um, I'm just watching the turnout, the total turnout, because as of yesterday, so today's Friday, Mm -hmm. yesterday, uh, the total votes cast surpassed 50%. 51%. 51%. Yeah. Uh, of, of Of every vote that will be counted, cast and counted, over half of them are already banked at this point, and it's only... Uh, it's only Friday. So, um, you know, Madrid and I have talked about what the turnout's going to be. He thinks we're going to get to 160 million, which will be a massive, massive record in, in, uh, in the history of presidential election turnout. So, um, I'm very excited to see that. I do have a listener comment here from Karen Colzer, who writes to everyone who brought this great organization of brilliant men and women together. I just want to say, thank you. I've been very stressed out about this election and I really have no idea what I'll do if this monster wins. I've drawn a lot of comfort from the information you all have provided. So no matter what happens, I appreciate you all. And we appreciate you, Karen. Yeah, and, and yes. let me just say that, not just to, to you, um, but to the millions of people who have come along on this journey with us. It's, it is an amazing thing. It is incredibly flattering and humbling. Uh, all we can do is say thank you. They're really the ones that deserve thanks. Um, they're the ones out there every day talking to their neighbors, talking to their family, sending emails, sharing stuff on their Facebook things, um, you know, sending postcards on our behalf, joining town halls, whatever the case might be. So, you know, the, at the end of the day, you know, 
those four or five million people are going to make a hell of a lot more difference than the, you know, 30 of us that get to do this for a living. So thank you to everybody. This episode was recorded when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have any questions or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com. And please know that even if we don't respond, we read every email we get and we love hearing from you. If you enjoy the show, it would help us if you could rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.